God, we need you, and, and we want you. And God, we, we want hearts that, that get it, and we recognize when you're present, and we recognize your greatness, and you're worthy, and your mercy. Can I pray you would do a work in our hearts that we would hear what you would say to us through your word? And God, I'm asking you to help me to teach by, by your power. So I'm asking you would fill me with your spirit, help me to be faithful to what you would say to us. Um, and God, we ask you would work. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been in the book of Acts. So we'll be in Acts chapter nine today. And as you're turning there, let me just kind of remind you where we've been in Acts. It's been, um, it's been amazing to see the start of this early church, right? This early church is just 120 regular average men and women that have been through trauma, that have been through their own personal failures where they tucked tailed and ran and, and were ashamed of who they knew and what they really believed about Jesus. They, they watched their friend and the person they thought was the Messiah get killed. I mean, their world has been come crashing down. And then Jesus comes back from the dead and these 120 people are in a room praying and God does this work where he fills them with their spirit and the spirit and the gospel spill out into the streets and there's just people getting saved. Like thousands of people getting saved. And it, this little church uh, when God is in it, is powerful and strong, and it just it explodes all over the place. And you just see them literally moving through the city of Jerusalem, and you see it happening over and over and over again. And now this gospel, that this good news that felt like it was for the elite, for this small group, it's beginning to spread out from the city. It's spreading out to Samaria. It's spreading out to Judea. And in a moment, it's going to spread out all over the world. But God's, you see God getting the church ready for this movement, and they're experiencing all this persecution. And here's been the thing that's been hard about what, what I've been seeing in Acts. As, as I lay the church in Acts, next to the church that I've experienced at times, there's this disconnect. It, it doesn't even always look the same, right? There's something in this church in Acts that's beautiful and powerful. It's so attractive. Like they, they literally are hungry for God. They, they love one another. I mean, it's crazy. They're together every day in homes, eating meals and studying the word. They're meeting needs. Like they, they can't help but share the gospel everywhere they go. Like there's that church. And then, please don't be offended by this, but the church that sometimes we experience, and they don't look the same. They don't, and it creates this, this longing in my heart. I don't know what it does in you, but this, this longing, this ache that's sitting there saying, man, I, I believe that when God is working in our midst, there's this thing that he's calling us to that looks more and more like the gospels that work in our midst. And, and whatever that looks like culturally for us, there should be something that's happening in the church that is the gospel fleshed out. We're a display for everyone to see that this is good news. And this is good news that takes people that don't look alike, that don't have the same backgrounds or the same experiences from all different cultures and all different classes. It, this gospel breaks down all those walls and brings us together in real love centered around the good news of Jesus Christ. Man, as I see that, it just gets me really excited. And, and today, we've seen that it's been spreading, and now there's serious pressure happening. Let me, let me, let's hop in to Acts chapter 9. 
Because what we're about to see is that the gospel is for everyone. Like it is for every single man, woman, and child. Um, And the church has a heart for that because God has a heart for that. In Acts chapter 9, we we see this guy named Saul. We've bumped in before with with the murder of Stephen. But Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And here's this guy. It's, it's the air that he's breathing. It says he's breathing threats and murder. He's not just thinking about, about it a little bit. Every breath he takes in and out, threats, murder, threats, murder. I want to literally wipe off every Christian off the face of the earth. That's this guy. This guy's angry, and he's violent, and he's raging against the church. This, this guy Saul, is, he goes to the high priest in verse 2, and he asked them for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So if he found any belonging to the way, that's what they called it at first, the way of people who followed Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So, so here's this guy, and he's, he's literally been beating the church down in Jerusalem. That's not good enough for him. Now he's spreading out. He wants to get after them in every city he can find them. He wants to go up to Damascus. He's basically trying to kill the church all the way up north. He, he's getting after it. He wants to kill them. And so they say, yeah, go for it, man. We would love for you to kill all the Christians. That's the state that's kind of going on. So he's trying to arrest them and get them murdered and killed. Now this guy, verse 3 now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Now, I want to hit pause right there. In this moment, this guy Saul, that's full of anger and wrath and murder, is about to have God meet him on a road. Now, now I, what I want for you is I want you to think through something real quick. How should you expect a holy and just God to approach a murderous guy that's killing his kids? I, you need to think what you should expect before you just remember what the story says. How should he talk to him? And let me give you a few reminders. You guys remember Ananias and Sapphira? They just lied about how much they gave. What happened to them? Dead. Right? Like, like okay, listen, if you just think through the Old Testament, there's this part of God that's strong and powerful and just. And what kind of conversation from God do you think Saul deserves? Listen, he deserves like, hey, Saul, you've been playing games. It's about to get real, real quick. Like, uh, and, and God can be as creative and brutal about this as he wants. Saul deserves every type of judgment that God can give him. You remember Stephen, right? Like here's this guy being stoned for proclaiming Jesus and Saul's, Saul's happy about it. As Stephen is dying, he says, Father, just forgive him. And Saul out of that doesn't feel guilty. He feels more rage. Like of all the people, like this moment that God shows up, you should expect lightning and fire and eme- I don't know if the earth should swallow him up, drop him into hell alive and then close back over him. Right? You, you, you want something just and savage. He deserves it. Verse four. Look at how God talks to him. And, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
He doesn't say, you idiot, you moron, welcome to death. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He, he just, he, he gets scared. He falls to the ground because there's this light and, and God talks to him somewhat gently. Saul, Saul, there's this emotion behind it. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul's totally confused. He's like, no, I, don't, I don't know who this is. You're right, he says, uh, I just lost my place. He said, verse five, he said to him, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. Like, like, here's this amazing thing. I'm trying to picture what's happening in Saul's mind at this moment. Like light from heaven, he's scared out of his mind. This voice that says, why are you doing this to me? And he's like, who, who are you? And he's like, I'm, I'm Jesus. Go to the city, I got some instructions for you. I, I just need to imagine what's happening in Saul's heart and mind at this very moment. Like he gets up, he's blind, some guys have to lead him in, into the city. We find out down there in verse 9, look at verse 9, it says this. And for three days he's without sight, he can't see, and he neither ate nor drank. Like he's sitting here, he's so worked up, he's, I think he's literally coming undone in this moment. Like he's literally thinking about what he's been doing for the last months, these weeks and months. He's thinking about how he's been raging against God. Like this person that he, this group of people he's wanted to wipe off the face of the earth, suddenly he finds out it's all true. Jesus is real. He really came back from the dead, and he's been fighting him all this time. I wonder if he remembered like I, I, I can imagine this. This is what it feels like to me. When I start thinking through the things that I've done and this, the acts of rebellion against God that I've done, and I can imagine the shame and the guilt washing over this guy day after day. He's like, what have I, what have I been doing? I, I wonder if he remembered Stephen. I wonder if he remembered the men and women that he dragged out of, the, out of their homes and threw into prison. I, I wonder if he, with shame, was remembering all the things that he had done. And then he's trying to figure out, why am I not dead right now? Why am I still breathing? I mean, I guess I'm going to be blind forever. I don't know. Like I'm, he's just sitting there. Like I, th this is... This is brutal and emotional. Like this entire, this guy's entire world just, just got rocked and God is treating him so gently and graciously. Can, can, can I just remind us all about how kind and gracious and gentle God is? Like, like in our moments where we're just, we missed it, he speaks kindly to us. He's, he's, he's clear and direct but he's kind and he's gracious. Like, don't miss who God is and how he interacts with us. If he's going to send his son to die on the cross, listen, he, he's a kind and gracious God. But, but there's more. Here's Saul trying to figure out what to do. And then look at this. This is awesome. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, here I am, Lord. Like, it's no big deal. God just shows up, vision. Hey, I got a thing for you. And he's like, hey, yeah, okay, well, what do you want me to do? Like, this is apparently normal for Ananias. Uh, verse 11, and the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. It's very specific. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he's seen in a vision a man come in, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So, so here's the deal. He's like, he's like, Ananias, I got someone I need to go talk to. Go to this street. Go find Judas's house. There's a guy named Saul in there uh, from Tarsus. 
You need to go and, and put your hands on him so he can see again. He's blind. Now, now, now listen, let me be honest with you. If I hear that vision, I'm just going to be real. The thing I would struggle with would be like, wait, hold on. I'm supposed to go get this guy healed? That's what I just want to make sure we're talking on the same thing. You want me to go heal a dude? Okay, yeah. I need a little bit of instruction. I'm not quite sure I know how to do this. Okay, so can you give me more details about the healing? Ananias skips right over that. That's not the thing that freaks Ananias out. It's not walking up to a stranger and saying you're blind. He's not nervous about any of that. I mean, God can heal the blind. Not a problem. Ananias believes that. God's strong. God can give him the right address. He's not afraid he's going to show up to the wrong spot. Here's what Ananias' issue is. He's got this thing. He's like, uh, and it's funny. It's the one time in Acts you start seeing someone saying, God, are you sure? Like, he's, so he says this to him. He says, uh, verse 13, but Ananias answered, uh, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Like there's almost like this, hey, wait, hold on. God, you said Saul of Tarsus? I've, I've heard some stuff about Saul. Like he's been on the news a little bit. Like the word on the streets is he likes to kill, kill Christians. And he's here to arrest us and throw us into prison. Like uh, all the healing thing, that's fine. But we're talking about Saul here. What, what's Ananias' issue right here? Like Saul? Like God, are you asking me to go die? It's like Saul doesn't even... Or Ananias doesn't even comprehend that what God is doing is he's actually in the process of getting ready to save Saul. The guy that hates Christians and murdering them, of all the people, of all the hard-hearted, impossible cases, Saul is example one of a dude that should never, ever, ever get saved. Like, this guy's too hard, he's too mean, he's too far gone. As a matter of fact, in a few verses, if you flip over to verse um, 23, or verse 26, Saul shows up to Jerusalem after getting saved, and the disciples are freaked out by it. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they're all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They're like, listen, I know Jesus comes back from the dead, but people like Saul don't get saved. Like, it's more likely this is a trap than that God actually broke that dude's heart and came in and saved him and changed him. That's the disciples Listen, church, you, you got to hear this. God is in the business of saving people, all people. He can save anyone. There is no heart that is too hard for God to get in and change. There's no sin that's too big and too massive. You don't have a past that's so big that God can't clean you. And none of it. You, you haven't done enough bad that God can't reach you. Your heart isn't so hard. There's no one that is beyond the reach of the grace of Jesus Christ. When he decides he wants to get after you, man, like, good luck with this. This is exactly what God does. Let me tell you something Saul will say later on in Romans chapter 1. He'll say this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why not? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen, the gospel is the power of God. And he works, and he's stronger than our sin, and he's stronger than our hard hearts. So if you, if you think you're too far gone, you don't know the gospel. If he can get after Saul, he can get after you. He, he can. Anybody here murder? I don't want to, don't raise your hand. A few of us have murdered Christians and gotten permission to go kick down doors and drag them and throw them into prison. 
And God can save this guy? Listen, that's good news for me. It's good news for you. But there's something else that's good news. Listen, that's good news for your neighbors and your family members and your friends and your coworkers. Listen, your boss is not too hard of a case for God to break through and, and save. He's not. Your family member that's gone off the rails, that's wrapped up in who knows what sin, and there's no way that this person should ever trust in Jesus. They're too hard. They're too difficult. They're not too hard for our Savior. Don't lose hope as you're engaging in the mission. I know you get, we get sad and we long for these family members or these friends or these neighbors or these coworkers. God can save them, and he can use you to do it. Like it's not just that. It's not just people we know. Like I begin thinking about the nations, and I'm, I'm thinking not just that he can, but he is working in places. There's no country that's too closed for this. God can work in places like Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Uzbekistan and Tajikistan and Turkmenistan and Pakistan and, and more. There is no country that can keep its walls closed to the gospel of Jesus. So as we see these places, and there's something else that says, man, we want to see God work in places like Afghanistan, but it feels impossible. It's not impossible for God. This is what he does. He saves people, all people, from all backgrounds, in all places. There is no hurdle that is too strong for him. Church, I hope that gives us hope. It gives us hope and confidence that he will reach people God can save anyone. If he can get after Saul, he can get after your friend, and he can get after the nations. But, but there's more here. I, I want you to see what God says to Ananias. Ananias is like, I don't know about this Saul guy. God, can you really, I know you can heal the blind. Can you save him? Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go. This is what God's talking to Ananias. Just go, Ananias. Why? For he is a chosen instrument of mine. To, to carry my name before the Gentiles and, and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Like this is, guys, this is crazy. It's not just that God wants to save Saul. Dude, he's got big plans to use Saul. Like really, really big plans. You see that plan that he has for him? He's going to take my gospel. He's going to tell people about me all over the place. The Gentiles, all the Gentiles, that's Saul. Kings, I want him in front of Caesar. I want Saul in front of the most powerful people in the known world and the children of Israel. Listen, you need to think about all the people that just got wrapped up in this little statement right here. God's plan for Saul is all the Gentiles, all the Jews, and kings. Did, did we miss anyone? I, like he's taking God's plan for this guy that's a murderer and in a, like a dirty dog. I'm just telling you, his plan is not just to save him, it's to use him in this strong and powerful way. Guys, this is awesome. Like you need to hear this, that when God saves someone, he can also use anyone. I mean, he can use anyone. You think you're too dumb? You're too inexperienced? Your past is too bad? Listen, God is strong enough not just to save anyone. He's strong enough to use anyone. That's his plan. Like when we talk about God reaching every man, woman, and child in Tallahassee, that plan is not, I don't believe, for him to get everyone into one church to hear one guy speak the gospel. God's plan 
is all of us, you and me, every single person sitting in these seats, to be used by a strong God to reach our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends. His plan is you. It's not the elite. It's not the trained pastors. That's part of his plan, but it's not his plan to let one or two guys do this in the city. It, his plan is for all of you. Don't be afraid of it. Don't lack faith that God can't do it. This, this is what God does. He can, he can use anyone. I want to show you what he does in Saul. It's like this, this crazy explosion happening, and it's really, really quick. Look at verse 17. So Ananias shows up. I'm sure he was scared and a little bit nervous. Hope God's not setting me up for something. God didn't promise I'd be safe. He just told me to go to this guy, verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, look at this, Brother Saul... Didn't see that one coming. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was saying, like out of the gate, he's like, listen, I'm in. I'm in for Jesus. Like in this moment, we don't get the whole conversation, but he gets saved, he places a trust in Jesus, and he gets baptized and make it public. And here's what he does. For some days, he's with the disciples at Damascus. And, and I begin to imagine what this is like for Saul. There's this explosion. Because here's Saul that knew all the Old Testament. He knew all these laws that felt rigid and firm and strong to him, but really clear. He knew all about the holiness of God. He knows all these things. And now he's with the disciples that probably don't know as much as he does. Because this dude is skilled in the Old Testament, and they're going through the Bible, and I imagine it's for him to sit there and read the Genesis account. And he's sitting there thinking, man, God created, and he made us in his image, but then we fell, and then God made this promise. I think Saul begins to see Jesus everywhere. God makes his promise. One day, Eve, you're going to have a child who's going to crush the snake, and he's going to bite his heel. You know what Saul sees there? Jesus. And what once was solid and rigid and just routine becomes alive to him. And then I imagine he keeps reading and he sees Abraham and Isaac. He sees him take Isaac up on that hill and get away to Saxon and God provides a lamb. You know what Saul sees in that moment? He sees Jesus and he reads about Noah and the ark and God sending judgment and Noah's saved on an ark. And you know what he sees? He sees Jesus. He sees Abraham get a promise from God that he'll use him to bless all the nations. And he sees Jesus. He sees Joseph be used to save his brothers and he sees Jesus. He sees the Exodus and Moses show up and he sees Jesus. He sees Passover and he sees Jesus and he sees the law given to them and all the sacrifices. And he sees Jesus, he sees King David show up and a promise to have a king sit on the throne. You know who he sees? He sees Jesus. Like this is an explosion for Saul. He sees Jesus everywhere in all the things and he's missed it his whole life. And suddenly the Bible becomes alive and I, I see Saul just devouring this. Like it's this explosion. He sees Jesus everywhere in the scriptures. Why do I say that? Well, look at what he does because it doesn't take long. It doesn't take years. He doesn't say, I'm going to go to seminary for three years or I'm going to go be discipled for 15 years at the church. We're talking like days later. And this dude shows up. Here's what it is, verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he's the son of God. How did he get that that quick? I mean, granted, Jesus showed up on the road. He got a little head start there. But, dude, he's throwing down because he knows the word. And this guy is saying, I see Jesus everywhere. 
And he sits there, he says, they, they say this about him, verse 21, and all who heard were amazed. And they said, isn't this the guy who made havoc in Jerusalem of those called upon this name? This Jesus he's talking about, that's the guy that was trying to kill all of them. What happened two days ago? Like, we're, we're baffled here. Hasn't he come here for this purpose, to bring them bound to the chief priest? Look what happens with Saul. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Listen, this guy that's been saved for four days all of a sudden steps right into the fray and says, I'm telling people about Jesus. He doesn't wait. He doesn't feel like he should be more and more trained. He wades in with what he knows, and he starts talking about Jesus over and over and over again. And, and all of a sudden, by the, by the end of a couple days, they're trying to kill Saul. He's in a basket running for his life, getting let out of it. The guy that was hunting Christians now becomes hunted. This, man, it changes so quick. Listen, it reminded me of this passage that, that Paul, who is actually Saul. He changes his name eventually to Saul, and, and God used him to write all these books of the Bible, like Romans, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Titus, Philemon. Like, listen, 1st and 2nd, I, I forget, I don't know if I got all of them, 1st and 2nd Timothy, there's a bunch of them he wrote, dude. I can't even list them all right now, and I'm a pastor. I, I messed up the order, my brain got jacked up. Like, God used him to write all these books of the Bible, and to plant churches all over the known world, like, God changes this dude radically. When I think about that, look at how Paul describes this, or Saul in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says this. He's looking back and he's, he's talking about what God has done for him. And he says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. I was just a straight jerk. He, he chose me while I was still all these things. He says, he says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Here's what he says. Let me tell you, God chose me and made me a faithful servant. Even while I was still a stubborn opponent, I persecuted the church, I was stubborn and ridiculous, but he had so much mercy, it just overflowed to me. You know what he turned me into? Turned me to a trophy of his grace. He, he didn't make me a superstar. He made a trophy that reminds people of how gracious and powerful and strong and kind God is. Right? If you ever got trophies, a trophy isn't amazing all by itself. And I look at that trophy. Like what the trophy says, it says something about the person who earned it. A trophy reminds you of a victory of a team. A trophy's not great by itself. It's there to remind you about the greatness of someone else. And Paul is saying, I'm God's trophy. He saved me, and this isn't about how awesome I is. I is. I just, this is not how awesome I am. It's about how awesome he is. So what he does. Church, if you're here and you've had a rough life, welcome to the club. You get to be a trophy of God's grace. 
If you're here and you've lived a really clean life, but you learn how to be a Pharisee and to be fake and to be religious, welcome to the club. You get to be a trophy, not of your awesomeness, but of his grace. Like if you're here and you're weak and you struggle, listen, welcome to the group. We are all trophies of his grace, not our own strength, not our own majesticness. We're trophies of him and his mercy. And you get to get put on display for all to see. And our lives for all of eternity will say one thing. Jesus is a good and kind Savior. Church, I'm I'm praying for us today. Here's the call for us. Here's what I pray would happen for us. I pray that we would be trophies of grace to all of those around us. I pray that you right now you would leave this place and you would say, listen, if God can use Saul, he can use me. I pray you believe here in faith that he's strong. I pray you believe here in faith and saying, if God can reach Saul, he can use me to reach my neighbors and my coworkers and my family members. Like, and that you would engage the mission with faith and hope that God will reach people. I pray you would leave here worshiping God, saying, listen, God reached Saul and he reached me, man. His grace is powerful and strong and overflowing. I pray you would leave here not just believing God can use and reach anyone, but worshiping him for being gracious and merciful. And I, I, w- I would miss a huge opportunity if I didn't make this invitation here. For some of you, uh, you're hearing that story, and the thing that's going on in your mind is not God can use me and God can save my friends, but you're sitting here saying, well, man, I feel like God's calling me to be saved. Like for some of you here, you've, you've been in church your whole life, or maybe you haven't. I, I don't know, but you're hearing this message of a Savior that saves people, and you may have, may have known religion, but you haven't known Jesus yet. Let me tell you the good news. The good news is simple. This Jesus that appeared to Saul on the road, he, he came before that and he lived a perfect life, a life that you and I could not live. And he died on the cross. And on that cross, God took all of my sin and your sin and he judged Jesus for us. And Jesus died and paid the penalty for all of our sin. And the Bible says that he came back to life three days later. and He lives now. We get this option we can, we can either trust in our way and our effort, which will not get us to God, or we can trust in what Jesus did for us in the cross. We can repent of our sin and ask him to save us and say, listen, I believe you're the son of God and you died on the cross and that you came back to life. I just want you to save me. Just help. You're my only hope. If you will ask him to save, if you believe that he died on the cross and ask him to save you, the Bible says he'll change your heart. He'll adopt you into the family and he will do a work in your heart. It's that simple. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good. You just need to trust that he earned it and that he was good enough. If that's you today, don't leave today without placing your trust in Jesus. Now, I want to guide us in a moment of response. This is a moment we're going to do business with God about what he did in our hearts. So would you bow your head and close your eyes? And right there in your seat, I want you to ask God what, what he would have said to you today through his word. Have you doubted that uh, God is strong enough to use you? Listen, have you, uh, that's the case and it's simple, just repent and trust that he's strong enough to use you. Maybe for you, you have unsaved family members or friends and they just feel like they're way too far gone. You've lost hope. Listen, would you just remember that Jesus is in the business of saving people? 
And would you pray for that friend and that, that unsaved loved one? Right now, just ask him to save him, to do what only he can do. Maybe for you, the response is this, that you need to be saved. It's clear as day to you. God is saying it to your heart. You need to repent of your sin and trust in him. If that's you, right there you see, you can just ask him to save you. song of response to God and this is the time that you get to respond to God either in worship or, or, or however you want to do that if you want to pray we'll have pastors and descendants of couch we'll be down front if you want to talk to us we can do that during this time or after the service uh, you can pray in your seat if you want uh, but now it's time that we get to respond to God whatever he did in your heart respond to him now let me pray for us Heavenly Father God you've been kind like, really really kind God, we stand in awe that you would save men and women. We, we stand in awe that you're overflowing in mercy. And God, I pray that you would let us see more people get saved by, by your grace and your mercy. God, I, I, I'm praying we would worship you because you're that strong and you're that gracious that people who should be your enemies, you adopt and make sons and daughters. And God, for anyone here who needs to get saved, I pray that today they would make things right with you. And we just pray you would work. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.